Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, Attorney Kim Hegwood with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today is Danny Modisette, and we're going to be talking about laughing today. So uh, so y'all just you know sit back and get ready for uh, some chuckles because I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. Uh, so, so Danny, talk to us about um, It's Okay to Laugh. Oh, uh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me, first of all. Let me just say that. Uh, yeah, so I really, I've been a comedian most of my career, and my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's about eight years ago, and I couldn't make her laugh, and she was depressed, and, you know, I really felt terrible about it. I felt guilty because I'd moved her to Los Angeles, where I live. And uh, I was at my dentist and um, because it's LA, you know, she's also like a life coach. (laughs) And I said, oh, I can't make my mother laugh. I don't know what to do. I feel terrible. I just wish I could hire a comedian to cheer her up. And she was like, oh, why don't you do that? That sounds like a great idea. So I did. I brought in a professional comedian and she sat down with my mother and did all these, it had all these instincts that we now use all the time because I ended up uh, starting a company that does this because the reaction from my mother was immediate laughter. She looked her in the eyes. She told the truth. She really took her time. She didn't push anything. And, uh, and she actually commented on the truth. So she said, I know you probably don't want to talk to me. You're probably thinking, who is this schmuck just talking to me? And there was something about this word schmuck and her New York accent that was familiar to my mother. And so she laughed and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I want, that moment between two people. And so I, d- I ended up hiring the woman and um, she came and met with my mother like eight hours a week and it really did change the quality of her life. So being able to laugh with someone and have someone whose attention was fully devoted to my mother and who also had a great sense of humor and wasn't precious and wasn't looking at the disease through fear. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with Alzheimer's and cognitive decline is that people are afraid and they're afraid it's, you know, contagious or they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. It makes them uncomfortable. So they just either don't show up at all or when they do, they're very busy trying to make nice, nice, you know, and um, and really people in cognitive decline become more sensitive to the truth because their senses are so heightened. Their other senses become very heightened. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, but yes. yeah, that's good. Yeah. And uh, so, so what made you want to be a comedian? Um, I think my instincts as a kid were always to try to make people laugh. Even uh, we had moved, we were living in New York city. We moved to Connecticut. Everyone was very not happy about that. And I was a kid, but I had puppets and I used to play with puppets at the, at the dinner table where everybody was depressed. And I would be like, Hey, dad's not happy. And, you know, try to get laughs. I just, it's my instinct. I really do approach pain uh, by trying to break the tension with laughter. So I think it's in like in my gut. And then uh, since you asked, I was a waitress and I, w- I was getting like people were laughing at, you know, as a waitress. And they were like, I don't understand why you're not a comedian. Why are you a waitress? <laughs> so that's when I started studying comedy. And then, you know, that was 25 years ago. Burp, burp. 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot of years. So when you're thinking about, um, you know, creating shared laughter, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of tools and, or tricks, you know, uh, are important, you know, so no matter what the situation is, you know, what are some good things that, you know, that you found that really worked? Oh, such a great question. And it's actually quite simple, right? It's, I, I said already, like make eye contact, like get at eye level with a person and also don't uh, pretend things aren't happening, you know, really to be present. That's the thing. Another tool. So we have listening and then being present. So maybe put your phone down, put your devices down, unless you're using your device as a, a memory, not a memory tool, but as a point of connection. So showing photographs, um, playing music, that's when the device is really helpful in cognitive decline. But otherwise, you know, just, just put it down. I, I remember a moment uh, when a friend of mine came to visit my mother and which was very rare because a lot of people don't visit. So I was very grateful that she even visited. And, uh, but she, she immediately went to work and my mother uh, on her phone and my mother turned to me and said, she doesn't want to be here. And, <laughs> and uh, she's done with me. And I thought, okay, yes, that is really how we feel when somebody picks up the phone, right? But you don't say that because it's not polite, but uh, it was a great indicator, you know, of how sensitive people are. So I think, being honest, being present, uh, music is great. Any kind of, um, they're very, as the language declines, mirroring, they're very good at mirroring. So if you can make, if you can have the courage to be silly and make a funny face, they will make the face back. And that's actually a point of connection. So those are just some things that I have discovered. So do you think that your mother resonated with, with the comedian because she did the New York accent? Oh, that's like a funny question. No one's ever asked me that. I do think it, it had a familiar cadence to it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that was comforting for her. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was the only thing. I think you could come in with a New York accent and be rude and dismissive and mean. But I think the combination of everything that I just mentioned with the familiar accent, I mean, even me, I, you know, when I hear a New York accent, I'm from New York City. So I, I feel a kinship with that person. And then of course they reveal their character and I may or may not uh, <laughs> respond to them. But I mean, you have a strong accent in Texas, so you, I'm sure you appreciate. <laughs> well, I like to think no, but you know, <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, wait, do I really sound Texan? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not for me personally, but you know. <laughs> that, you know, so um, yeah, I've, I've, I've worked hard over the years, you know, just to really try not to, uh, not to really have, you know, much of an accent, but it comes out, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you least expect it. And so, yeah. yeah but I just, when you, when you said that and uh, I just triggered, I thought, I wonder if that made a difference. And so, um, so let's talk about, uh, let's, you know, we're going to get personal here. So, um, so what situation that seemed hopeless that, that got you through laughter? Oh my goodness. So, so many, frankly, um, <laughs> Let's see. So I, uh, this is interesting. I wasn't planning to talk about this, but I, I kind of struggled with eating disorder behavior in my twenties, that late teens, twenties. And uh, so I created a show called Too Thin, T-W-O Thin. And it was two comedians talking about anorexia and bulimia. I know a wellspring of funny, but 
it really, it, we went on the road and we went to like a hundred colleges and it really not only helped me and my other comedians because comedians tend to have addictive personalities. So it manifests one way or another, it's eating, alcohol, whatever, you know? And, um, and so it gave, again, like gave comedians work and also like reached all these sorority, you know, all these sororities, we were very, very busy. And just being able to have a sense of humor about something, you know, because a sense of humor gives you hope. It, it, it's when we think it's hopeless that we can't laugh about it. But if someone can get to the other side of something and present it with a sense of humor, it gives people who are stuck hope. And so that was a big one. Um, I would say my father's death, my father died of cancer. It can be, <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences. And, uh, and that, I also did a show about, you know, grief and moving through the other side and a parent dying and all that. And it was, it was very funny. I had puppets and, you know, so I kind of look at, I go through everything that way. That's my lens. So what is most important about laughing with another person? Uh, definitely the connection, the connection that you um, have in that moment. It's, it's the uh, Victor Borca, this old timey comic said, it's the shortest distance between two people. And I really think that's um, why I'm so committed to it. And I wrote a book about uh, laughter and long-term relationships called Take My Spouse, Please. <laughs> and, uh, and what was interesting, and that was another really difficult experience that I used humor to get through. We were at the 10 year mark of our marriage and it was real, I'm not good at anniversaries and this was a particularly bad one. And I realized, oh, I want to, I like, I loved couples who were laughing. Like couple, if you had like gray hair, holding hands and laughing, I was like, that's what I want. And yeah. so I set out to like interview hundreds of couples and religious leaders and all kinds of different therapists and leaders to, uh, to confirm my suspicion that couples who laugh together stay together. And what was interesting in doing the research for that book, what I discovered is the laughter is actually the byproduct of all these other things that have to be in place, right? Like listening and showing up, letting go of the moment before, paying attention to timing, surrounding yourself with other like-minded people. So it's, you create an environment where, where freedom and laughter and joy can exist by actually utilizing all these other behaviors, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And so, all right, so let's talk about laughter on call. How many comedians do you, I mean, do you keep a whole bunch of comedians? Is there a certain area? Are you just in California or just in the Los Angeles area? Talk to me about your business. Oh, so great. Uh, we have about 50 comedians in rotation and um, we are, a, we have transitioned to being uh, primarily a virtual company at this point. So we are all over the world and we started in Los Angeles when we were in person and then in COVID, of course, we were not able to get to our clientele. So we started live streaming comedy, like just like this, only people could come on. And what we noticed is it wasn't just people in cognitive decline that were showing up. It was like perfectly lucid people who felt isolated and anxious in the pandemic. And so from there, I developed all these other programs like specific curriculum that are great for corporate teams, for healthcare workers. And the one advantage of COVID uh, in the aftermath is that a lot of companies are hybrid now. And a lot of companies will, this is how they bring their people, they've discovered, 
that they can bring the engineers from India and the designers from Italy and the three people in Wisconsin, because every company seems to have people in Wisconsin. And, <laughs> and we bring everybody together and then they're able to like have an experience they would have never had. So we go everywhere. Um, we still do a lot of senior work. We've been able to work one-on-one -on -one. as long as there's somebody there to turn on the Zoom for the person. It actually does work. We've had a number of clients and we do a lot of um, interactive improv with groups on, on Zoom. I mean, we will go in person. And I think as we all come out of this, like we just, they just took off the masks here in LA today. So as we emerge from this, we will be doing more in person. Yeah. And so I found that through COVID that my mindset was so crucial. So, you know, watching the news, you know, I still watch my old funny sitcoms, you know, because you just want to laugh, you want uplifting things. Sure. I, I can appreciate how enjoyable it is. And, you know, and I probably would be one of those ones, you know, not necessarily home by myself, because that's never been the case, you know, but really sitting back, I love comedians, you know, just sitting back and, you know, watching just laughing, because it makes you feel good. Yeah, I mean, there's the science behind it, right? There's the endorphin release and serotonin uptick. But yes, and I will say, um, interaction is what we are gifted at. You know, you can watch cat videos and that's totally funny. But with us, it's like you're actually being engaged. And that is something that we learned in the Alzheimer's world is the importance of engagement. And it turns out it's not just an Alzheimer's uh, need. It's human beings want to be engaged and they thrive being engaged and feeling seen and heard and participating. And so that's what Laughter on Call does best. Awesome. So how does somebody find you if they want to participate? Oh, uh, laughteroncall.com. And I'm Danny at laughteroncall.com, D-A-N-I. And we're Laughter on Call on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We're just Laughter on Call everywhere. Perfect. We are literally on call. So there you go. And yeah. so thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it immensely. And, um, and you enjoy the rest of your day. Okay. Thank you, Kim. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcast as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.